Well, hello and good day, beautiful souls, wonderful podcast family. I hope that wherever you are in this universe, on this planet, you're doing amazing. Sending you all of my love, well wishes, uh, good vibes through the airwaves to you. We have an amazing episode today. What I was really looking forward to, we have Matt Presti and Darren Kalam on, and we are exploring the work of Walter Russell. Um, they run philosophy.org and the Walter Russell Foundation. And um, he's come up for years and years for me. It's one of those guys that I haven't gone deep into his work. I remember reading a book a few years ago being like, holy smokes, this is this is beyond my capabilities right now. But these guys really knew, uh, really know the work of Walter Russell. And we dive deep. We talk about um, Walter Russell's thoughts on consciousness, uh, the work of Krishnamurti, integrating the shadow, the hero's journey, uh, a living philosophy. I love that. Uh, the secret of the wave, life as two, incorporating idealism, the true God particle, dark matter, uh, Walter's view on multi-dimensions, and so much more. So that's, there you go. I, hopefully that will be enough. And uh, and there, there's definitely more in there. So that's just a few of the notes I took. And uh, I really love this episode. So I hope that you enjoy it too. If you like it, please do what you can to share the podcast. It really helps. Share on your Facebook, uh, share on social media, Instagram. Make sure you tag me. I'll certainly give you a shout out and a thank you. Um, all of those things really help to get the word out there. Please take a moment to leave a review in iTunes. That also really helps. And uh, consider becoming a patron because that also really helps. Um, it takes a lot of time to do this. And so um, I appreciate all my patrons. Thank you guys so very much. Um, for those of you guys who want to go a step further and you want to learn a step-by-step -step master system for overcoming self-sabotage, strengthening your connection with spirit and designing and living the life of your dreams, check out the absolutely phenomenal soul compass course it is free when you join the academy so you can access the academy over at mattbelair.com and you'll see the academy and that course is essentially a simple compilation of all of these almost 400 episodes of the podcast the hundreds of books i've written on how we can really activate our innate natural god-given guidance system to create a meaningful existence and use peak performance spiritual techniques universal laws and all that kind of stuff so that's all wrapped up in the soul compass course and definitely sign up for the email list because i'm about to launch the heart quantum heart hypnosis program with a bunch of meditations in there and i'm going to be doing a uh, hypnosis and meditation membership there's so many epic guided experiences i have on there i wanted to figure out an easy way to create them so um, i'm just going to be doing a membership and i would love to have you guys in there as well i'll be running a uh, workshop with Mark England. That'll be coming up and that's going to be amazing. That's uh, I think the 29th of August. I should know when that is. And you definitely want to join that. I just recently became a ProCabulary certified coach, uh, learning even more the depths of language and story work and the power of words and the stories we tell ourselves. And so I'm certainly excited to bring that presentation uh, to you with Mark England, who's been on the show multiple times and really a master level coach. And so I hope to see you guys there. Make sure to sign up for the email list uh, to keep all that, uh, to get all that information. And for those of you guys who want the one-on-one -on -one coaching, mattbelair.com forward slash coaching would love to work with you and help you build the life of your dreams. It's definitely possible. I had another uh, entry level call today and I love it when people say, I'm not really sure the direction I want to go. And after one call, they're really clear and they start to feel inspired because it's really just removing some of the, the gun between our eyes uh, asking some certain questions and and everybody really can access the exact same thing to uh, build a meaningful and purposeful uh, 
life that has impact and creates income. So that's it. Uh, thank you guys so much for listening. The best way to support the show as always is to do three kind acts in the world, wherever you are. Um, that's the best way to support the show. So let's get into it without further ado. Um, let's come into a state of peace and coherence wherever you are in the world. Just stop what you're doing. Take in a deep breath in through your nose. Hold that breath and just let it out slowly, filling every cell, every muscle, and every fiber of your being with peace, joy, contentment, enthusiasm, and ready to take on this amazing episode with Darren Colum and Matt Presti. Hello and welcome to the Mastermind, Body, and Spirit Show. I'm your host, Matt Belair. Today, we have two amazing guests for you. Our first guest, Matt Presti, is a meta-scientist, musician, philosopher, poet, practitioner of universal law, natural science, and living philosophy, and host of the series Interviews and the, and the Exploration of Consciousness. He is currently serving as president of the University of Science and Philosophy, formerly the Walter Russell Foundation, since January 1st, 2016. Our second guest, Darren Colum, since 2015, has been replicating the conical coil concept put forth by Dr. Russell in his books in order to validate the Russell cosmogony as a workable, tenable concept in the realm of unifying understanding of both physics and metaphysics. Currently, Darren directs active research involving alternative electrical generator designs to alleviate mankind from energy dependency and replace the need for fossil fuel-derived energy sources. Welcome to the show, Matt Presti and Darren Colum. Thanks, Matt. Good to be there. Thanks for having me. Yeah, gentlemen, it's so great to have you on the show. You came highly regarded from Mike Winter over at the Alpha Vedic podcast. They're doing some amazing work over there. Um, I had the privilege to be on their show as well. And a lot of the things that they discuss really blow my mind. And so, you know, as I was saying to you guys before we started the show, the work of Walter Russell has come up by every single scientist or person that I respect who is in the fields of science and they're in the fields of uh, alternative energy and alternative living and alternative ways to imagine a better world. And that's one of the rabbit holes, which unfortunately I haven't studied his work uh, too in depth. And so I'm so excited to have you guys on here to share a little bit about, about him, your work and your discoveries. So why don't we just start with you guys giving a little bit about your background and uh, how it is you guys got to where you are today and what you're working on. And I guess we can start with Matt. Yeah. Uh, I read my first Russell book in 2008, The Secret of Light, and it was a life-changing work. And uh, in 2010, I journeyed to Virginia to visit Swannanoa and meet former students and employees of the University of Science and Philosophy. And then I would go on to produce a series called The Secret of Light series, which is based on the scientific and philosophic work of the Russells and also produced some other things that mainly were inspired by Dr. Walter Russell and my study on mysticism. Um, just such great stuff. And that got the attention of then President Michael Hudak of the University of Science and Philosophy, who then picked me to succeed him as the oncoming president, which I assumed in 2016. So I've been working for the university 
for about five and some five years and some months now, and have since been able to reopen uh, the museum, which was at Swannanoa and went into storage back in 1998. It was in storage for nearly 20, 20 some years. And we were able to get all that moved back out and viewable by the general public. So uh, just a really great uh, unexpected turn in my life, but nonetheless, um, did some really great things and have yet to do some some more really great things as we move forward. Amazing. Thanks, Darren. Yeah, so I, I probably read my first book by Walter probably six or seven years ago now. I was uh, sort of traditionally trained in uh, academic science. I have a degree in biology and I uh, was very involved in chemistry labs um, at my uh, at my college. So he was even working at a, a, a toxicology laboratory for about three years uh, professionally before I sort of, uh, I kind of always had questions about the universe that never were really satisfied or answered by going to school and even learning advanced physics and things. And so when I encountered uh, 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 the work of uh, Louis Curvran, who was a French scientist, he had documented how living creatures were actually transmuting elements uh, within their, their own biochemistry. And I, I found this so fascinating and it was so contrary to what I was taught in school that I sort of started exploring alternative uh, sciences and modalities. And I found Walter's work through that uh, exploration. And it, it kind of transformed my whole understanding of, of physics and, uh, and metaphysics and I went through some some physiological changes, some weight loss uh, in my early 20s, and a lot of spiritual changes came with that, and having Walter's work and reading it and understanding it kind of helped me put a lot of pieces together in my own life. So it's, it's, it's wonderful what changes it can bring in your own life when you, when you find this work. But I basically identified that this science was so radically ahead of its time and Walter, the things he was talking about was so far ahead of its time that there really needed to be scientists alive right now who were taking what he said very seriously and needed to check these things out. And so I kind of made myself over time a, a service uh, in that way, uh, bringing my, my skills set and um, my talents in science toward uh, Walter's cosmogony and really trying to identify things that we can, we can do build technology that can use his principles, which are really nature's principles, so that we can have energy independence and uh, all kinds of uh, miracles can come from this understanding. Beautiful. You know, I'm not sure where we should start. I'll kind of leave it to you guys. When I think of Walter Russell and the conversations I've had around him from the friends uh, that I've spoken with him, and always, whenever he comes up, he comes up as this almost mythical figure, you know, like Tesla or of the highest regard of somebody who was both brilliant and had a, an incredible philosophy. So my question to you guys is from his work, what would be the best way moving forward on our planet to release some of these technologies to move toward what we might imagine as a golden age or an age of peace with all of these technologies and um, or if there's a better way to start because right now we look at the world and it's it's almost getting worse you know it's we're in this these crazy times and we're seeing it just get more and more dark 
And we all know whoever's kind of researched these kind of ideas, if we work together, there's got to be something better. And, and great leaders and great minds have, have spoken about this. So I'm definitely a believer in these alternative energies, alternative science, alternative views. And I'm curious what you guys have discovered for uh, a path that might actually lead us there, like an actual framework that we could use to create the world that we can imagine. Yeah, I can start. Um, first, I think we need to plot a course out of the existing system, as Buckminster Fuller said, as opposed to getting rid of the system, create one that that's better, that you know people will move to and flock toward, and I'm paraphrasing. But basically, the, the need is there, certainly, but we don't want to just, you know, release technology and put millions of people out of work. You have to have a, you know, a transition period to where you don't have a collapse, rather a migration from one system to another, replace it with a better system. And that's just it. I mean, we upgrade software, we upgrade belief systems, we upgrade political systems we upgrade um you know repairs to vehicles you know upgrade things around the house we should also upgrade existing systems that we live in be them civilization systems let's say let's do civilization 2.0 as opposed to seeing it collapse so you have to take it in a logical reasonable progression you know as opposed to collapsing the system with just the sudden release of new technology um, phase it in, in other words, so that it's an easy migration from one system to another. You don't want to, you know, I used to be a, uh, a union member of International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers. And uh, last thing I'd want to do is see, you know, 300 plus thousand of my former brothers suddenly become unemployed because we simply release a system that's, that's radically advanced. So you step through progression, you know, much the same way you have to work toward new paradigms. And if you do it logically and reasonably, I think it could be phased in and eventually phase out the old stuff over say a 25 year period. So it's just a, you know, it's a, it's a logical way to proceed forward that takes into the account people's livelihoods, people's families, you know, and, and making sure that you don't just suddenly collapse, say an economy or a system in favor of something radically new, there's a logical way to proceed. So I think that's just, in, in my opinion, a, a good way to proceed there. Yeah, and Leo Russell, who was Walter's wife, said something very important, which was, you know, all the science and all the technology in the world is, isn't gonna do us any good if we, if we have terrible human relations, right? Because it's how we relate to other people that this technology is even going to be you know utilized for for good purposes and so if that key piece isn't there that human relations piece isn't working right then it doesn't really matter how good the technology is um, you know it can be it can be misused and mistreated um, but I think where we're going with this and from my perspective it's really exciting because um, the state of the art right now is you know if you don't want to burn coal or oil for energy or, or even trees, which is what they call biomass, um, you know, you're basically, your options are solar panels and wind turbines, uh, which is basically all just different ways of moving magnets. Uh, you can either move magnets with 
giant propellers, uh, or you can move magnets with an, uh, an explosion-based engine that pushes uh, pistons around. <clears throat> but they all basically do the same thing, which is turning magnets. So um, what I've used Walter's understanding to help me do is to really deconstruct this whole notion of electromagnetic waves and electromagnetic universe and what does that really actually mean and what do we mean when we say induction you know inducing a current to flow and i've investigated these things really deeply maybe deeper even than electrical engineers at mit would because they, they just simply don't have the the broad uh, bigger picture perspective to understand what are these physical forces and how does matter even come into existence uh, and then dissolve back into that uh, nothingness you know so there's these huge gaping holes in our physics and one of them is definitely where is the actual real source of energy even in our electrical current uh, because if you really understand that you could come up with an entirely new way of generating that power that will be way more efficient than solar panels way more efficient than uh, wind turbine generation or practically any method it would be a complete overhaul of the, the the state of the art as it is right now which is really exciting that's actually where we need to go if we want um you know real solutions to these problems hmm. well when you guys are talking what it reminds me about is uh, my friend robert grant he's been on the show a few times and he's made these amazing mathematical breakthroughs that are uh really really game changing and when we're talking about free energy my question to you guys is how plausible is that in in what kind of time frame um what you know what do you guys see as far as technologies that may exist i've heard from many people they say you know these these technologies exist but i've never seen them i've never seen them verified or work um you know i've heard of labs being shut down and things like that but as far as you guys have seen what's the plausibility of of getting these technologies and how far out are we well, as I've said in other interviews and things before, is that the tech, developing the technology and getting something working isn't as a big a problem as, uh, as the human relations piece like we were talking about before. So it, it's relatively easy, and it's happened many times for, a, for an inventor out on his own to kind of stumble upon some of these things that we're talking about and discover this new source of energy. But a lot of the times it gets bought up and put on a shelf or for, for whatever reason, there's a, there's a failure in the human relations piece. Something goes wrong at some point and the greed kicks in and, or the wrong person gets involved and, and the whole thing just goes sideways. And this, is, this has happened probably very likely you know, a lot in our, in our history. So I can really speak you know, to the things that that Walter discovered himself and, the, you know, because I've found documents relating to his devices. And then, of course, my own research, I know, you know, where we are with that. And it, we're a lot closer, I'll say, than people might even imagine. Uh, I Just to give you an example, I, I released a lecture um, at our 2019 homecoming where I showed um, Basically, I showed a, co a conical coil setup where I could run a light bulb, and I also was generating a very compressed magnetic field that can stick a ball of iron filings together between these, these two cones. And basically what I'm showing you there is that for one input of power, you actually can generate two discrete outputs, and they're t totally 
you know, independent of one another, essentially. So you can you can regenerate uh, or recompress uh, wasted electrical power that we normally just throw away. So imagine if you had a device on every one of your appliances that just recompressed or rewound up or remultiplied some of the energy that we normally waste just as heat or anything else. And so this would be a good first step toward uh, kind of a free energy thing uh, where it would basically just be having all of your appliances be a much higher efficiency. Uh, and this would, of course, draw less energy on the grid and thus consume less fuel and so on and so forth. But eventually you can get to where you don't even need uh, the fuel anymore. And Walter talked about this. And he, he was smart enough to say that we should, we should kind of transition, as Matt was saying, and, and go into a hydrogen-based fuel system leaving the carbon one behind and then eventually going toward uh, basically optical power generation, which would require, as Tesla said, no wires and no generators, essentially it could be one tower that would power the entire world. Um, that's where you can go with this kind of understanding. But, you know, again, is the world willing to accept such radical change over a short period of time? Probably not, <laughs> unfortunately. Hmm. Yeah, and Matt. But Matt the technology that, exists. Interesting. Yeah. Well, Matt sent me a presentation, so I'm going to definitely link it up in the show notes so people can uh, see that. That's interesting. I, you know, just hearing you talk about it, I just imagined it in my mind as like, how have I never even thought about that application before? Um, Matt, do you want to jump in? Do you want to add to that? Yeah. Again, I just think I'll, I'll reiterate that you know, there's there's a lot that could be released that would radically change things, but again you know, you're talking probably a hundred million plus people around the world just in the industry of electrical generation from nuclear power to coal to oil to, so there is a way to logically and reasonably proceed forward to where you, you know, do this over a period of time, you know, and I know a lot of people are like, well, let's just release it and, and the world be damned. You know, and if, if it's not that it's um, necessarily even, you know, it's not so expensive, but it wouldn't be practical for a lot of people because, you know, it's still such a new technology that it's going to be an expensive thing if you wanted to get into it. So even if you released it for free, only a few people who could afford it could could actually build these devices. You know, not everyone has $10,000 laying around, you know, so... Um, basically the way to proceed is, is to integrate it into existing technologies and phase through it, you know, and, and that's just more the practical application. You know, it's, it's not necessarily, um, so, you know, a goal of ours to, to destroy anything, rather see it transition in a, in a, in a feasible way that, that benefits everybody. Well, those are really good points. Uh, I remember when uh, the self-driving cars were coming out and the, one of the first articles that I read was, you know, how massive the uh, transportation industry was. And even when it, with the, uh, you know, the invention, if you will, of Uber and all that kind of thing uh, in Vancouver, Canada, where I was at the time, there was, there was cab strikes and things like that. So on one hand, I wanted the Uber because I couldn't get a, a cab in Vancouver and it was annoying. But on the other hand, I understood that so many people's livelihood 
were on the line. So it's a definitely a challenging space to be in. And energy is such a fundamental part of our human existence and such an important upgrade for our civilization. Um, I, I want to change gears a little bit because I'm curious your thoughts on this. You know, Ralt, Walter in his book, uh, Atomic, um, what is it, Atomic Suicide, he has some very interesting chapter headings in there. And I haven't um, gone too far into the work, but I'm curious about his philosophy in the chapter of the bridge between man and God and the true nature of this mind in motion universe. And so I'm curious if you can talk a little bit about uh, his philosophies of just uh, mind, our interaction with the universe and how we might be able to, if I think about philosophy personally, anyways, I think about how do I live a good life, a meaningful life, and also civilization-wise, how do we move towards peace? How do we move towards a civilization, a community, a collective that actually makes sense based on values? And I'm curious if he um, speaks about anything like that. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's that's a majority of the work in a lot of ways. Um, he lays a blueprint out him and Leo together, especially in the book, Atomic Suicide. Um, world harmony, obviously, you know, to quote Joseph Campbell, follow your bliss, to quote other authors, um, the hero's journey, you know, if you, if you don't have and do, as Jung would say, the shadow work or the internal work that's required, how can you feasibly expect to join a, a civilized human race? I mean, it was uh, Krishnamurti who said it is no sign of health to be profoundly uh, adjusted. Uh, I'm sorry, it's no, no sign of good health to be well adjusted to a profoundly sick society. And society is sick. It's absolutely psychologically ill, you know, and trying to be well adjusted to that would be you know, a foolish thing to attempt. So how do you get better? And I think so many people have said, and forgive me if I can't remember all the names, I've studied so much, but um, those who study what's wrong with society, its illnesses and sicknesses become well because they study it. You know, you become well because you're looking at the sickness, you know, and you can name a ton of sicknesses when you look at society and, and what's wrong with it. So by investigating that, by doing that shadow work, you, you compare and contrast society to yourself. Are you adding to the shadow of society or are you, you know, are you driving, the, I should say, integrating the shadow in yourself to where you are able to cast more light into the world and less shadow by being you know, truthful and, and facing yourself as you are. The psychological traumas we have all, you know, been through through childhood and through other stages in life are very real and they should not be put down in favor of a collectivist utopia that will never come as long as there's profoundly ill people in the world you'll have a profoundly ill society so the best thing you can do to to bring about change in, in the world is become that person you seek for the world to be and that by that you're adding to the, the collective betterment of the human race. And that, that collective is come to one in, individual at a time. There's no happy pill that can be prescribed for the masses because the masses are profoundly ill. <laughs> They're well adjusted to a sick world. So 
you do it by by going on the hero's journey and, and the Russells were no different in the, in to talk about that I mean you cannot give away that which you don't possess if you don't love yourself through and through how can you possibly give that away to someone else you'll meet with one ill-fated relationship after another and the beauty about relationships is they tell us how sick we really are because that person you're relating to reflects back the the insecurities the um, the shortcomings of one's character and it's a mutual interchange of reflections so it's very important to first have a relationship with yourself that is truthful and looks at all the things that are you know profoundly wrong with oneself and and it takes years in in a lot of cases and so that self-work again is is primary of primary import and i think once you begin to heal yourself then you can truly be able to say you know now it's time to you know extend that that health that I have in myself outward and and you start to figure out ways that you can best interchange with your fellow man and I think um, Walter called the the language of God inspiration or the language of light and one of the best ways to influence your fellow man is to first be that person so that that's what they see. When they see you, they don't see somebody who's doing one thing and saying another, like we see in so many politicians. You know, do as I say, not as I do. Wear the mask, even though I'm not going to wear one. Right? I mean, people aren't dumb. They they see people saying and barking orders that they don't even follow themselves. So these people need to be listened to less, and you need to look more more toward those role models and characters who actually do what they say you know, who, who are hip, who are looking into things. And, and you can't censor the truth away. It's the truth, no matter how many people believe it's not. If a majority believes it's not the truth, it doesn't make it any less true because the majority believes it. So basically the, the overall philosophy of the Russells is a living philosophy. It's how to apply spiritual principles, to inculcate them into your own life, to become the best you can be. That's what the home study course is all about, unfolding the inner genius within you. But it's also um, learning to apply those values that are in your own soul seed to your own life and then to the world. That's how it works. It, it, you can't give away anything that you first don't possess within. So those qualities inculcating the character traits that bring out the best of you. And that allows you to give that to the world once you've... Uh, honed in and, and sharpened up those skills. That's a really great answer. The one thing I wanted to touch on was the quote of you become well because you look at the sickness and it's relevant for today because when I look at the world and what's happening with research and investigation and the conversations I've been having, it's like, oh, wow, there is like a dark agenda. There is some things you can line up that is that are not great. And when you look at the world, um, and how it's run, it's very easy to find all of these things that are not ideal. And one of the simple ones would be if you don't look into food, let's say, and you don't understand drinking 10 sodas a day is not good for your health, you're not going to have a vibrant, energetic body. But if you don't look into the food, you're not going to know that. And so I've been challenged lately because there's so much negative news. <laughs> there's so everything, you know, I take one day off and then it's riots. And then I look at behind the scenes of the riots. And so um, I love Darren to jump in and kind of answer the original question, but I also kind of give the comment of how, what I've been thinking of, how can I be useful? 
because right now the information I'm coming across most of the time is negative and not inspiring. Luckily, there's been a couple things recently that have been a little bit more inspiring, a little bit more positive, but I sometimes question, do I have to keep looking at all this negative stuff? But my thought that I come back to is if I don't know the truth, I can't make a good decision. Uh, even if the truth is an ugly truth, I need to know uh, if I'm making a good decision, just like if I am going to build my house on sand on the edge of the cliff, on the edge of a cliff, I need to know if that sand's going to fall apart, you know, in two years or 10 years. So my family is safe and I'm making a good choice. And so I've been just challenged with how much darkness is out in the world. And I'm wondering if you guys can speak a little bit on that philosophy and how we might be able to inspire positive change, although we might be in challenging times. I think for myself, you know, kind of how I've been dealing with things is, you know, Walter was such an inspiration because he was so creative, you know, even right up to uh, the end of his life, he was constantly sculpting, constantly painting. He was always looking for the next thing to, to create. So the, he was kind of an inspiration to me to say, well, I got all this time, you know, we all have time on our hands these days. And for me, it was important to do something constructive with that time, like do something creative with it. And so, you know, I, I have a lot of research and things that I'm doing in my own life, but I was sort of giving people the advice of, you know, remember that old hobby that you were interested in, you know, a long time ago, dust that thing off and, and you know, get, get to follow that interest again, because at least now you have the time maybe to, to look at some of these things and revisit some of your your interests because Walter was able to basically master five fine arts in in, in one lifetime and Glenn Clark uh, who is his biographer basically said he lived five lifetimes in one so imagine if 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 you can can do that which you absolutely can you can become a, a genius just like Walter was and you can do just about anything you want to do with your life um, if you know how to you know uh, he called it working with God or working with the, the universal intelligence. There's basically no limit to what you can create. So in all this darkness and all this negativity, why not, you know, try to flip that polarity on its head and, and create something that will push us in the other direction, the positive direction, you know, that, that's kind of how I look at it. Awesome. And well, I know a lot of Russell's views are, you know, they're not, it's not taught in like mainstream science. And so I'm curious with what you guys have looked at, what fundamental changes from what you've learned would you institute in the academic institutions or um, in schools or in our collective, collective culture, uh, whether it's like a theory or an idea or an understanding or a paradigm shift, what would you offer to the uh, institutions or individuals that would make the greatest benefit for all people. So one of the simple ones that I like to kind of share, if I imagine the world all cooperating, you know, everybody just kind of cooperates and we think about, you know, not what can I get, but what could I give? How could I, how could I add value to my neighbor rather than having the philosophy of what can I take? How can I get more? And just that fundamental shift would be so profound if we could integrate that on a societal level. And I'm curious if you guys have, come across things like that, whether it's scientific or if it's more philosophical and what we might be able to do. Yeah, I can take a little bit of that. Um, basically, Walter's science, he, he taught what he called the secret of the wave. 
And to know the, the secret of the wave is to know creation. And what is the wave exactly? Well, it's, it's two, generally. So you have the creation uh, being two, uh, light and dark, for instance, or polarization and depolarization, compression, expansion, gravitation, radiation, uh, explosion versus implosion, matter versus mind. And, and the way science is set up currently, I think one of the best things I would recommend to um, aspiring scientists who want to have a more universal understanding of, of creation and nature is to incorporate idealism as a philosophy into your daily life. Because right now, the, the philosophy of materialism, which is all for the senses, is in charge of all the science departments in all the universities, for the most part, excepting ours, the University of Science and Philosophy. We, we're, we're more on the life science side of things. And uh, there's two aspects to this wave of creation, the, the life half of the wave and the death half of the wave. And all is either becoming life and it's building up and then expanding toward death. And in, in that expression of the wave is also the expression of man. Now, I would draw your attention to the fact that regarding human thought processes and free will and how most of our actions are guided or uh, focused on the death half of the wave these days. Our culture, our politics, our, um, let me see, I'm just going to pull up a, a little thing I wrote the other day and, and I can. Uh, well, our law as well, you know, I, I just watched a few presentations by Russell, Russell J. Gould and I know that uh, Bear Lando talks about it as well, but apparently the shipping container receipt is our birth certificate and everything that we do in our uh, society is based on being lost at sea. Right. right. So that whole British maritime society. law. Yeah. Yeah, the whole, yeah, exactly. The whole of it. Right. Yeah. So basically your, your two expressions of the wave are death and life and all of our culture, all of our institutions, pretty much the corporations, everything is focused on death. I mean, there's how many 150 cities burning around the world right now? And what is that? But the, the absolute, you know, full on expression of death as a, as a action. So, you know, again, when you're a materialist, your philosophy is the philosophy of death because death is what the senses sense. They, they can't really sense life. You can't really sense inhalation. You can't really sense implosion. You can't really sense um, things like love or beauty. These are beyond the senses, but they can be known by the super sensible mind. So it's, we're missing an entire half of the spectrum of the wave of creation, which would be according to Russell's work. We live in a two-way motion universe, not a one-way heat, death, dying universe caused by a one-way explosion only Big Bang, which is completely illogical. All bodies breathe in and breathe out, inhalation and exhalation. And so why is it we're only focused on the material side? How about the ideal side? the idealistic side, which, which is like implosion, mind giving inward versus explosion matter taking an outward. You know, it's because the senses are so strong that that's what we really conceive of as reality is what can be sensed. So it's led to all these half right, kind of dim-witted 
theories about matter and formation of matter, including the God particle, which again is another misnomer. The, the, the true God particle is carbon. It's really the only uh, atomic structure in existence. All is becoming carbon or carbon dying. And the death of carbon is the death half of the wave. That which is becoming carbon is the life half of the wave. So again, it's, you know, I think replacing the doctrine of materialism and I'm not saying throw it out the window because a lot of great things have come from materialist science, you know, tests and other things, experiments, blah, blah, blah. But what we don't have, which would complete the missing half of that spectrum is a life science. We're really good on the death half of it. We have explosion based engines, which produce again, death. You know, if engines were based on the life principle, they would not pollute the environment. So right there, that tells you we're missing half of the, the whole wave cycle. And that's what Walter was so good at bringing to the world was the need for not just how did Newton, you know, come up with the theory of gravity because he saw an apple fall from the tree. Uh, he missed the entire half of the equation, which is how that apple uh, rots away into gases and those gases rise upward. How did the apple get up in the air in the first place? You see, these are the kinds of questions idealists ask. So materialists, they just want the proof. They want the data. They want the reductive, uh, you know, re, um, empirical data to to back up their sensory claims. But you know, you know, love is is kind of like an idea. You can't prove it exists in a laboratory. There's no test that you can swab somebody under the tongue. And go well, he's in love. It's conclusive. No, it's not. It's an ideal, right? Just like beauty is an ideal, silence, uh, stillness is an ideal. You can't really measure those things, but they're there nonetheless, just like a man's soul is there. It can't be measured or quantified. So when you, when you bring in idealism along with materialism, you have the marriage of the two, which is the sacred union. And as uh, I'll just leave you with a quote by Falconelli, which I just love. He was the master alchemist. Uh, earlier in the century, he said, let me see here. He said, the vital thing is not the transmutation of metals, but that of the experimenter himself. It is an ancient secret that a few people rediscover each century. Unfortunately, only a handful are successful. Oh, I love all that. And and when you're talking about alchemy, I remember reading or hearing a long time ago that alchemy was more about um, alchemizing emotions in life, you know, turning darkness into light in your own life and your own experience more than the actual physical world. And um, it was very, I think what you shared there, what I found most fascinating was um, if you're a materialist, your philosophy is death. And that's so such a fascinating thing it's such a fundamental idea you know and we're we're grasping our society of just everything material and acquisition and kind of like we're squirrels stacking these nuts for our safety and this is what our life means and if our reality in our material world is based on our senses we know how little of that we actually perceive which is shocking just you know you you know a lot about light and how little of the spectrum of what, what would you say that on the spectrum of light we're able to perceive? Do you have any idea? Well, well Walter has a, a diagram he, he has shown where basically the, uh, 
there's a there's a, a 360 degrees circle that shows uh, all visible light, and he shows the the there's like a tiny little wedge of it that is normal human perception. So basically, we can see to the limit of the infrared and to the limit of the ultraviolet, but, but and then everything in between. But that's a that's a shockingly small wavelength of light to to actually be able to to see because everything that exists on our earth basically is within that that little spectrum uh, of wavelength so just really think about that because these physicists say that so much of the universe is uh, is dark it's dark energy it's dark matter it's just we don't we don't see it but we know that things come out of it so they assume that there it must have properties that are somewhat similar to matter otherwise how could matter come out of it so they haven't made the the jump, which is really more of a spiritual jump, uh, where our, where our scientists will eventually know that the the not just suspect the link between mind and matter, but actually know the link between mind and matter, and know how matter actually comes out of comes out of mind. So it's nature's full of illusions because it makes us think things that aren't really real like we see railroad tracks uh, meet at the horizon to our eyes but you know if you walk on those uh, railroad tracks they're parallel the entire way so there's myriads of optical illusions in this universe and until we know uh, know like with a capital k like know um, more about the nature of the universe we will keep getting fooled by our senses and make erroneous uh physical laws in our in our science so we can as russell say really move ourselves about a thousand years uh, ahead in our science uh if we really um uh, have this sort of universal understanding a cosmic understanding instead of just our little uh tiny sliver of perception that we we sort of confine ourselves to yeah, we yeah. must go beyond that. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. And and I think like, uh, you know, even when I talk to um, the Native American elders and have them on the show, like Clifford Mahuti and David Lombear, um, they just talk about having an understanding of earth, you know, like all, everything that you do, it affect, affects the plants, it affects the animals. And, and most people don't think like that. And even bigger than that is it would be a cosmic understanding, your role in the entire universe. Uh, it's it's such a more empowering framework to move towards. It makes you feel more significant, oddly enough, at least me anyway, may, maybe others feel more insignificant, but it also makes me feel like I'm a part of a family. And as we're kind of going down this rabbit hole, what I'm curious about uh, your guy's perspective in his work, you know, on the idea of either um, simulation theory, God and like ascended masters on like, like let's say what Jesus and, and Buddha could do or even multiple dimensions. Because if we're only perceiving such a small amount of the light spectrum, you know, and same with sound, same with touch. Um, and you imagine a dog whistle, right? You, you blow the whistle, but the dog can hear it, but you don't, you don't hear that. And so, if the physicists are saying that it comes out of dark matter, maybe we just don't have the tuning to perceive it. And I'm just curious if his work kind of steers to any toward of uh, philosophy or answer in those directions. Well, you know, I can talk, <clears throat> oh, go ahead. I can tell you for sure that Walter stayed away from ascended masters. <laughs> <He's>, <laughs> yeah. Darren knows what I'm talking about. We both read a lot of the work where he, he basically derides the idea of, 
people floating around in the sky and why don't they get hit by airplanes and you know floating on a cloud the, the science of the russell is very practical uh, one needs to to understand this idea of dimensions and where it comes from einstein repopularized this idea of a dimension beyond the third with this fourth dimensional equation e equals mc squared time needed its own dimension so uh, ultimately um, well, there's really no need for anything beyond three dimensions because everything that's beyond the sensory range are things like electromagnetic waves, uh, frequencies of light that we can't see. Uh, the idea of dimensions was popularized by Edwin Abbott back in the, the late uh, uh, 1800, uh, uh, 1800s, yeah, with his book, um, Flatlanders. And that proposed the idea of a dimension beyond the third to help solidify the belief in God because his, uh, his, uh, he was a, uh, a pastor in the Church of London, if I'm right, uh, City of London School, St. John's College. Um, so he mastered in theology and nonetheless he, he wanted to invoke the idea that just because we can't perceive God he must be in a dimension beyond the third and you know a circle tries to listen to a sphere tell it how you know being three-dimensional is 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 something amazing but then the the circle says well if you know you can be three-dimensional then then is there something beyond you so it's an interesting thing that that einstein uh did that you know he, he couldn't complete his equation without having this idea of the fourth dimension. So that's, that pretty much is the root. It's a science fiction, you know, and basically the way Walter would describe dimensions is dimensions are three-dimensional. There's no need to make them multi-dimensional where, you know, there's, you know, reptilians in another dimension. They could be driving people around by their chakras. It's kind of a ludicrous idea, to be quite honest. And there's absolutely zero proof that it exists. And uh, this idea of dark matter is basically to shore up all the mistakes that they have in their current models, which don't really explain um, the universe in any kind of sufficient way. And as Walter would say, if you can't describe the universe to a seven-year-old, maybe you shouldn't be trying to, you know, to where a seven-year-old can understand it. And then you have these string, you know, super string theory in the 11th dimension and all this stuff. It just, you know, they don't even know themselves where they got this idea of different dimensions. But as Walter would say, dimensions, there's 18 that he describes in the universal one. And, and some of those, for example, are length, breadth, width, weight, color, temperature. Um, these are the kinds of dimensions. If you're going to think multidimensionally, those are the things that are more on the practical side because what good is it to try to, you know, and I see a lot of this in the new age movement. And one of the things the Russells were was very practical. They, they preferred the, to, to call themselves meta-scientists instead of metaphysicians. And they said the difference between the two was great. So that's, that's just something to consider. But they were very practical in their approach. So that's one of the things that turned me on to it. It's, if it's not usable and practical, you know, like I said, in the New Age movement, there's a lot of people saying, if we could just all skip forward to the fifth dimension, we'll all be okay. Well, no, it, it doesn't work like that, people. You know, if you don't graduate from the school you're in, why would you even want to go on? So I think, you know, with the practicality of spirituality that's, you know, in the cult proof, um, 
teachings that are the Russell teachings, extremely cult proof. You know, there's, there's no uh, worshiping anything but the light of your own mind, which is the creator to the degree that you know it to be. So it completely ostracizes and removes and guts this need for a middleman, you know, putting the emphasis solely on yourself to be the, the person in between you and God. You are the person who's, who's communicating with God, not a priest, not a rabbi, not a cleric, not a guru, you know, all this stuff is irrelevant. And it's not to say that those professions are irrelevant. Those people do what they do, but it's just to say that the emphasis was on the individual to uh, inculcate a divine moment to moment relationship with the true source of power in you, which is the creator to the degree that you know the creator within you is to the degree you can express that power. So it's a very practical approach. I love, I love everything you said there, especially the end part of, um, you know, your own connection to God. And that's an idea that I've, I've definitely heard before, um, from again, some of my uh, native American teachers saying that you don't need a broker to God. You know, we went to the parliament of world religions and as thinking about, um, you know, if, if I brought my daughter there, I didn't have my daughter at the time, but if you brought a child there, how do you pick which one? Um, you know, which one is the right one, which is the right philosophy. And even when there is a person there, which could have a great philosophy, whatever that religion may be, whatever that philosophy may be, even Walter Russell or, you know, uh, Matt Belair's view on life or whatever, or your mother's, it doesn't matter. And they, they could be all amazing people. They can be all brilliant philosophies, but it's not going to do you that much good at the end of the day. You're going to have to go out there and get your own experiences. And especially when we're talking about something that's kind of intangible unless you have your own experiences we're talking about god the universe and source and it's been my view and experience anyway that it's that earnest wanting to know of the bigger picture the earnest wanting to cooperate with life on that scale to want to be a wonderful citizen of of the planet and all life here and that 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 bigger part that you're a part of this you know whatever intelligence that keeps your heart beating at night and breathing. And if you want to cooperate with that energy and source in whatever way you want, it has to be your own because my experiences that have been, um, let's just say, you know, I don't know, paranormal for lack of a better word or, um, you know, awakening or whatever you want to call those cities or just really mind blowing experiences, which I've had, you know, I, I can't give those to anyone else. And, and a lot of the time too, it's not even about that. It's just a reminder to try to bring that into life and, and everything that's around you. And it's usually only found when you sit down and you're quiet and you know, you're, you're paying attention to things and you see how beautiful life is. And that's why I've really liked Zen philosophies and Zen martial arts. Cause it's very simple and you know, it doesn't need to be grand. It's like, it is grand. Like this is, this is incredible. You know, can you imagine if you didn't have your eyesight for 10 years, what you would give to get that eyesight back? And how you take it for granted or you know if you're healthy and you've got your legs working or even hands you know I, I had a friend in Whistler that was born without any hands and he didn't know what it was like and I just thought about it and I never thought and I was like oh my god like these are awesome you know the hands and how amazing life can be without anything else but we kind of get in a rut of, of saying that it's not great you know what I mean that we get in these mental traps and so I kind of leave it there I like everything you said and I asked Aaron to jump in Yeah, so I, I wanted to touch on one thing you'd brought up before about the bridge between man and God. And you had just shown on the screen uh, Walter's periodic chart. 
And I wanted to talk a little bit about the inert gases because that chapter about the bridge between man and God is really about the inert gases. Um, as you can see there, there's a black dot on the midline and each one of those you see is labeled the uh, alphanon, betanon, gammonon, helium, neon, argon. So in Walter's science, um, we're very familiar with things like plants having seeds where the seed basically contains the entire idea of what will become the plant eventually. Um, and everything comes at, everything that the plant becomes starts in that seed. Well, Walter says that basically the inert gases are the seeds of all the other elements. So when we think about what is our physical body made of, well, we know it's mostly carbon and then hydrogen and then nitrogen and oxygen. And so there's these sort of lessening uh, quantities of these elements, but basically mostly carbon and hydrogen and we breathe oxygen and nitrogen so we're basically we we live right in the middle of walter's chart at the, the midway point between the fourth and the fifth octave and the inert gases are quite physically and simply the seeds of all the chemical elements which exactly explains why they don't form chemical bonds with any of the other elements they can't for example make uh xenon or krypton make a uh, covalent or ionic bond with any other element. And the reason is, is because you can't graft a seed to uh, the, the trunk of a tree. You know, they're, they're, they're fundamentally two different things. One comes from the other. And, uh, and then at the end of the tree's life, you know, the whole point of it is to make the, the fruit with the, the seeds on the inside. So the, the, you, put, you put the seed in the ground, and it sort of folds inside out, and then it does it again to refold that pattern back into the seed so that it can repeat it again. So it's just like an echo or any other thing. It, the wave repeats itself, and we, this is happening in all forms of life, not just biological life. This is happening on the, in inorganic material, what they call you know things like uh, sodium and potassium. These things are just as much male and female as they are, uh, um, as uh, biological life is, male and female. So light itself is sex divided, and the, the fulcrum or the, the um, balance point of that really is, in a physical sense, the inert gases. And that's such a huge point, because when we're looking for spiritual places, you know, a lot of people say, well, where did my mother or father go, or my grandmother or grandfather where did they go when they die and we, we, we have this desperate desire to understand where physically in this universe do people that we love you know go once they pass on and the Russells give us this this wonderful uh, knowledge of dimensionality and how the inert gases are really the record the, the Akashic record the storehouse of all of these patterns that we come to know as as reality it's all stored within there so just know and be comforted by the fact that your mind or your parents mind or anybody's mind is never really destroyed it's all recorded in those inert gases because they're cosmic and uh, they never cease to be um, your mind literally is never destroyed because it's not it's not really created in the first place we're all kind of just uh, simulations
but it's a good simulation. You know, we, we, we learn, we grow from it. So that's, I just wanted to mention that about the inert gases because it's, it's really a fundamental difference. Uh, you won't basically find that anywhere else other than <laughs> Walter's cosmogony. Yeah. Oh, wow. Well, you know, you brought up a lot of things for me and I want to ask a lot of questions, but I, I as I was scrolling through some of the images, cause I wanted the audience to see some of the, um, the geometry and some of the artwork that he makes. Was it, was it one of you guys that created the uh, cubic wave field model on YouTube with this um, actual physical, physical box? You know what I'm talking about? That was uh, Ben Palmer. I, am I right about that, Matt? Is he yeah, originally a fellow named Jeff, who was a friend of Jim and Jacqueline Porter, uh, developed and created according to, I think Walter mentions it in Atomic Suicide about if you could create a cube of six mirrors, that it would have the effect of, of showing you how light doesn't travel, but rather propagates from wave field to wave field. So um, Jeff was the first to, to actually make a physical mirror cube. And then Ben Palmer later, uh, I had suggested to Ben in a meeting that it'd be really cool if we could put LEDs inside, you know, and, and so he ended up making it. And so there's the LED mirror cube uh, model. And, and basically that, that's a really good, uh, really good model for showing you how light actually propagates uh, and repeats in wave field to wave field as opposed to traveling. So I'm going to go ahead and up, just drop in a, um, an image here. If I can find the chat, there it is. Uh, how do I get there? Let's see. Yeah. You know, I found, I think it was, I think when I was talking to Mike, I think he might've shared with the, me this video. It's a uh, Walter Russell's cubic wave field model of creation, which you shared and um, correct. Yeah, which is, I remember looking at it and being like, what am I even looking at? This thing is, <laughs> this is amazing. Right. Um, and and what this is a physical box, yeah? Yeah, that's correct. And there's an LED <laughs> in each of the seven corners, excepting the one that's cut out for your eye to look into. And as you can see, in, in, the, in each cubic wave field succeeding, light is already present. It's, it's omnipresent light is omnipresent throughout the universe. And if you're able to pull that image up, I just dropped in the chat. Um, this is one of the key secrets to uh, understanding Walter's and, and Walter and Leo's uh, definition of the creator as being the omnipresent, sexless, still undivided white magnetic light. And I'm, I'm waiting on it to come up here. One second. Can you re, can you just re say? Can you just say that again? You, I, I heard it and it blew my mind. <laughs> it bears repeating, please. Um, what? <laughs> it's it's thoroughly well and expressed in um, Atomic Suicide, and, and the only chapter I've ever seen by by its name, we define God, which starts on page one hundred seven, if I'm correct. And God is the omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent undivided, still white magnetic light of universal mind. And basically what you're seeing here is a selfie of God. God is not only centering and bounding all motions of this uh, light wave transitory temporal universe, but it is centering them as well. So the creator's white light centers and bounds all motion, be it the 
the cell to the star. And you're seeing a picture of, of stars and galaxies here, basically. And you, what, what, what they did was basically, I actually had the idea to do this as a way to present it because Walter had always drawn the one light, the one white light of mind as being dark to man's senses. So I inverted the picture and made visible what was heretofore invisible. So you can kind of see, this is what I call the God selfie. The white light is surrounding all motion, but it also centers it. That gives you a little bit of an idea of how omnipresent the creator truly is. The mind field, okay? So that mind field, the reason consciousness is in the North Pole and the South Pole and at the equator and in space is because wherever you go, consciousness is everywhere. So to the degree that you can connect to this conscious field is to the degree that you can express. So again, to, to differentiate from the new age, which a lot of people in the new age say, I am God, right? You're God to the degree that you know you are in Russell's uh, philosophy. And that's to say that, you know, even, in a, even a drop in the ocean can become aware of the ocean, but it is not the whole ocean. You know, it's a respective unit of creation. And so there's a very big differentiation there. You know, God being the, the all-powerful, we, we, we have no idea of the power of the creator until you really look at nature. You know, take a walk in nature and see the perfect underweaving patterns that interlock and interchange with perfect rhythmic balanced interchange. It's an incredible thing to behold, and one of the most inspirational things anyone can do is take a walk in nature, and really, that's what I think the greatest minds of this planet have done. They, they really had developed an intense and intrinsic relationship to the natural world, because that's where you really learn the secrets of reality. And so by studying nature, um, you'll also learn that the mind behind it, uh, the reason nature is continuous and doesn't rise and fall like man's civilizations is because it has a perfect balance of its interchange between its opposites, its males and females, and its pairs and units of creation all work in tandem for the betterment and the continuity of its own system. Whereas man, again, you, you get sex of greed, you get sex of destruction, and if so, only two out of, you know, I've heard a lot of things with like, uh, communal living situations, you know, it's a great idea, but when 30 people you know, go to live in, in a place to get off the grid and stuff. After a few months, you only have two people doing all the work and the, 20, the other 28 are sitting around getting high and drunk all day. So how does that really help? And then those two people that did all the work end up leaving and the thing collapses. So as long as everything is reciprocal and balanced and it's rhythmic interchangings, then you'll have a continuous uh, civilization. And that's one thing I think that we can learn the most from the Russells is that, you know, if we go into a dark age, it's because we made all the wrong moves, all the wrong choices, and we held up all the wrong things as being the real important things, which are just illusions. The real important thing is to ask yourself, you know, are you the kind of character that brings civilization down? Or are you the kind of character that betters it and creates a continuity in the world as opposed to a destructive pattern? And again, that comes back to the which side of the wave are you worshiping as your God, the death half or the life half? And, and those who master the wave of creation can pick either or. They can choose death or life at will. 
They don't suffer opposites. They command opposites. Holy crap, man. <laughs> that, was, that was amazing. Darren, do you want to chime in? I want to, I want to honor your guys' time. Um, I could probably talk to you for, you know, 10 hours, but I don't know what you guys have going on tonight. So I want to, I want to honor your time just in case and uh, ask Darren to jump in and just if there's something that you guys want to talk about as well before we, we close or, or start to wrap up anyway. Well, I'd just like to take the opportunity to uh, maybe just plug our plug our books a little bit. Um, Walter's first book was The Universal One. He wrote that in 1926. And that's his first sort of uh, crack at putting his cosmic knowledge. So he, he gleaned all of his knowledge of the universe from, a, from illumination periods that he would have uh, every every year on his birthday and uh, seven times seven once. So on his 49th birthday, he had a major illumination in 1921, which also coincided with a, a, a coronal mass ejection. You can look this up. There was a coronal mass ejection in, in May of 1921. And it's the same period that Walter had his uh, major illumination. And so he basically was taken behind the scenes of reality, as he said, and shown by God how the universe actually works. And so all of his artwork that he created from then on was basically in service of trying to explain to his fellow man, um, you know, just just how this this whole universal reality comes into existence. Um, so I highly recommend, you know, read his, his, his early books, but but understand that as he wrote more and more, he, he clarified more and more and made it because he realized the, just how difficult it was to move, you know, so many fixed minds uh, from where they were to where he wanted them to be, which is closer to, you know, the universal truth. So he had a hard time of it. He had a very difficult life, you know, dealing with people who rejected his, his, uh, his views. But if you really take a look at, you know, don't just read one or two of his books. I highly recommend you really take a kind of a broad uh, a look at uh, his work and his wife, Leo, both of them together. It was really when they came together that they were able to multiply this message of theirs and really impact people's lives. And the impact is phenomenal. You know, I love talking to people. Who, who found it and, you know, say, oh, I've been looking for this, you know, and I just never knew it. And I'm so glad to have found it. And it can, you can buy the home study course, for example, and it's a lifelong investment. You can reread it and reread it and you'll get something new from it because you're, you're always on this journey and you're always unfolding as well. So, you know, it's amazing to have guides that you've identified, you know, along the way that can really uh, help steer you you in the right direction and i think the russells were just uh, the probably the pinnacle example of that in modern times you know uh, walter was called the, the modern leonardo da vinci uh, because he was so so talented in so many different things and this was a guy who really you know he 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 wasn't um he wasn't here all that you know he, he was relatively recent compared to some other people so you can actually come to our museum and see his artwork, you can buy his books, you can look up his images online, and you can really uh, go as deep into this as you really want to because you know, you're, the, the student is uh, setting their own limitations here. So if, 
it's as deep as you really want to go into it, which is kind of the fun part. Yeah, and if I could just add to that real quick, um, the average cost of a college education is somewhere in the hundreds of thousands of dollars for a master's degree. So you could literally buy every book the Russells wrote and everything on the entire, in our entire website store for under $1,500. And you're talking, even just the books, all the books themselves would be around $1,000. That includes the home study course. So literally you could get a cosmic education for under $1,000 and you'll carry it with you throughout your entire life. A majority of our student body, I would say, are you know, university students who had gone through the UC system and, you know, varying degrees, masters, PhDs. Uh, we have a really, really intelligent student body. And like I said, a lot of them have gone through the university system and were left wanting to know more. I mean, we, you really don't get the universal education going to college or university anymore. Uh, it's it's certainly maybe never was, but it certainly seemed to be more in the past. You know, critical thought is not taught, yet everything that's uh, basically Western civilization is critiqued to the gills, you know. But so the, the very idea of, you know, these teachings being something you can carry out throughout your lifetime is absolutely true. Uh, what I learned and gleaned personally from it was there's nothing that I cannot do. And anything I seek to do, I simply take the first step and the universe must step toward me as I step toward it to fulfill my goal. And you know, that one thing that's missing from a lot of people is the ability to have long-term goals. People want everything right now, right now, right now, this second. It's very, uh, you know, temporal, uh, short-term, nearsighted sort of civilization we live in where it's give it to me now or I don't want it. If I have to work for it, if, I, if it's going to take more than five minutes, forget it. So one of the things that it talks about in the course and, and gets, you know, burned into your consciousness is the ability to create and how that whole creation process works. And I did do a, a series on YouTube called Knowing the Creator 101, where I touch on a lot of these subjects. If anybody's interested, I could drop a link in the box. But. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'll make sure that I link that up in the show notes. Um, you know, I, I really appreciate you guys coming on. And, and again, like I said at the beginning, I appreciate you guys um, walking me through this because Walter Russell is somebody who's come up with so many people that I respect. And it's one of those uh, people that I know for sure that I need to study and get into his work. And so I appreciate you guys giving me a, a really um, quick overview because I know it's very deep and I'm sure some of the audience is going to be like, Matt, how have you not read his books yet? I was like, there's a lot of stuff out there, but I, it's definitely a, a high priority. So I appreciate you guys coming on. Um, is there any closing thoughts that you guys want to share and where can they, where should they go if they want to find more about you guys individually or the work of Walter Russell? Uh, so you can, um, there's a faculty page on philosophy.org and uh, uh, I'm under the uh, chief science officer and there on that page you can find uh, pretty much all of the interviews uh, that I've done and also my lectures which is uh, if people are interested in the science and um, they kind of want maybe just a, a sort of a, an overview 
of, uh, you know, what, what they're getting into. Um, I've done a lot of lectures kind of where I've just tried to summarize things uh, for, for people, you know, who, who are students. Um, and uh, I just put my, my link in there in the box. So that's where people can find uh, all my stuff. And uh, you can see a little bit about my experiment uh, on the page with the conical coils. But uh, if you go into my lectures, you can get a lot more details there about what, what I did and, and how I did it and what it proves and all that kind of stuff. Yep, and for me, uh, you can visit Matt Presti, M-A-T-T-P-R-E-S-T-I.com. And uh, I got contact form there. I'm also on the faculty page at philosophy.org. I thoroughly recommend philosophy.org for anybody uh, wanting to order books. It's cheaper than Amazon. You'll save on your shipping too. If you want to order the books, use philosophy.org. And Matt, if you want, uh, uh, if you could just give me the name of your show again real quick. Uh, master mind body spirit okay how about we do a coupon for your listeners that's good for 10 days we'll, we'll just call it mastermind uh 20 and you enter mastermind 20 at checkout at philosophy.org and you'll save 20 percent on your order cool for your awesome. listeners thanks okay. amazing well guys appreciated and, and highly um suggest you guys checking out Walter Russell's work. I know that I need to do it and I'm, I'm definitely going to consider um, getting into that university and at least uh, some of his books and, and put them as a top priority because it just keeps coming up. And even my friend um, Robert Grant shares his work all the time. Robert Grant is incredibly brilliant and has made all these mathematical breakthroughs. And you know, when he's on the podcast or he's sending me a voice note, I barely understand what the hell he's telling me. <laughs> but uh, I know it's a big deal. You know, he's my buddy. And I was like, I know this is a big deal, but I, I, I'm barely understanding what you're saying to me. And he did a, a course on the language of light that I took that you know, I understood very little of, um, but a lot of uh, the influence comes from Walter Russell and anybody doing really big things always uh, sources his work. And so it's time that I uh, upgrade myself and invite anybody to check out his work because um, it definitely comes as in, in high regard. So thank you guys so much for coming on the show and, and what you're doing. And um, I appreciate the discount for the audience and um, thanks for your work. Thanks for coming. Yep. You got it. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Yeah, take care. See you guys. Thanks. Alrighty. Thanks, man. Peace. There you have it, ladies and gentlemen, the absolutely phenomenal Darren Colom and Matt Presti. I, I really enjoyed this conversation. Um, you know, at the beginning, I'm like, holy smokes, I don't even know what to ask these guys, but I'm glad it kind of, they, they were able to take it by the reins at the end and really just explore some of Walter Russell's work. He has made some amazing books. I've gone through some of the home study course a little bit deeper, and it's really just incredible stuff. And, and all the people I, I feel like at the highest levels of consciousness that I've met in the world and spirituality, they're all familiar with his work. So it's one thing that I know I need to get through. Um, life has been incredibly busy lately, so I'm, I'm, pick, I'm picking through it as I can. But extraordinary stuff. If you're curious about Walter Russell's work, check them out because um, the guy was, was revered by people 
um, at the highest levels of consciousness and spirituality, and he still is today. And so I'm just a novice when it comes to his work, but I definitely recognize the mastery. So thank you guys so much for listening. Please share this episode if you liked it. Leave a review on iTunes. Become a patron. Join the Academy. Get access to the Soul Compass course. Would love to see you in there. So thank you guys so much for your support. Uh, I hope that wherever you are in the world, that you're doing amazing. Sending you a massive uh, hug through the airwaves. Wishing you all the best. And let's come into a state of peace and coherence before we close this out. Wherever you are in the world, just stop what you're doing. Take in a deep breath in through your nose. Hold that breath. And just let it out slowly, filling every cell, muscle, and fiber of your being with peace, joy, courage, inspiration, strength, and ready to take on the rest of the day. So thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you in the next episode.